So, Psalm 133, <clears throat> and um, it's a really short psalm, so that means it's going to be a really long message, and I'm sorry about that, it's the way it is, you know. Um, this series is entitled Songs for the Road, um, and these psalms are songs that were compiled and put together as a kind of little songbook for people going on a journey, Yeah? For God's people, when they went on the journey up to Jerusalem for the festivals that they would uh, attend each year, okay? Uh, some of us are used to going to conferences every year, um, or every two years, or every four years, stuff like that. And um, uh, you maybe um, as a, a teenager or something, you used to go on camp. And camps can be fun as well, and sometimes you go in a minibus, and sometimes there are songs you sing as you go. Well, that kind of idea of singing as you travel is a very old idea, and we find them here in these psalms. And they're really wonderful, uh, because they're written for that journey from uh, where you lived up to Jerusalem for the festival. But there's a sense in which that journey becomes like a metaphor for the whole of life. Uh, because the journey is the journey from where we are to where God is. And we didn't really do this the other week, but we'll, we'll take a moment to do it now. I don't want to take too long uh, because, you know, short psalm, long message. Uh, <clears throat> but if you look at the first of the Songs of Ascents, it's Psalm 120. And look at it. It's really sad. Um, I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. So he's got it tough. Why? Look at verse 5 downwards. Woe to me that I live in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I'm for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So this guy, um, he's living uh, um, far from God's people and amongst his enemies. And then when we get to Psalm 134 which is the last of the Songs of Ascents, look at where we are. He's left where he lives, which is tough, and he's now uh, where God dwells. And look at um, what the psalm says. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. So there's a sense in which there is this journey from where we are to where God dwells, yeah? From where we have to live to where God lives. Um, and that fits in that whole Old Testament picture and New Testament too of God's people always being on the move. We talked about this a bit last week. Um, what is it God says to Abraham? He says, leave your home, leave your city, leave your people. And go to a country I'll show you. And Abraham gets up and moves. He, he lives in tents, you know. Left the city and lived in tents. Uh, Moses is sent to, to bring God's people up out of Egypt to the promised land. Uh, David spends a lot of his life on the run. Moving around. Um, there's the whole theme of exile and return. Being booted out of the land for their, their uh, evil conduct and for their idolatry, and then being brought back to the land. The Lord Jesus himself, what does he do? He walks the streets of Israel, and to be a disciple is literally to walk behind him, you know? 
And in Acts 2, we are told, uh, even though some of us uh, may never have moved very far. Actually, I look around the room, all of us have moved a long way. Um, but some people, you know, I, I once um, had a friend who was born in one house and died 100 yards away. And she never kind of moved out of the village where she lived. Never. Um, and you think, wow. But still, she as well, she's on the move. Because her citizenship is in heaven. She belongs in heaven with God. And so our Christian life, it's a walk. You know, we're on a journey. We can't stay here. You can't stay where you are. We're on a walk. We're on a journey. And we're walking that journey together. Okay, so Psalm 133, it's a short psalm, but it's got a big subject. And it's really, really timely to us. Because it comes to us at a time when... um, We've lived through a long period of people wanting unity. Um, I'm thinking in the political sphere. You know, we had the foundation of the United Nations. Um, we've, we've had kind of like the growth of the European Union. We've had kind of uh, similar movements taking place in Africa and in Asia. Countries wanting to talk to each other, to work together um, in the Americas, to um, a, 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 a kind of desire for cooperation, probably born out of the experience of the world wars. Um, who wants to go back to that again? And uh, the desire to kind of cooperate and work together and build something together. Um, But now we're coming into a different time where people are worried about internal unity. And so they want internal unity and they're not so worried about unity across national boundaries, but really worried about keeping uh, the nation together and losing our identity as a nation. And so there's a time where there's less kind of concern for international unity. And you see that in loads of ways, and I don't need to tell you that. Uh, But our psalm tells us some really important things about unity. And they speak to us as God's people, and then we then have a message that we can share with the world, okay? And which the world needs to hear. It really needs to hear, now more than uh, any other time. Okay, three verses, three points. So that's pretty good. That's a good start. Um, And the points are very simple. So we've got the goodness of unity. Okay? How good it is. Then we've got the source of unity. Where unity comes from. And then we've got the blessing of unity. Okay? The blessing of unity. So the goodness of unity, the source of unity, and the blessing of unity. So the goodness of unity. Our psalm tells us it's good. It's good and pleasant. When God's people live together in unity. If you have a different translation of the Bible, and that's a very good thing to do, um, you'll see that it doesn't say in every translation God's people. Very often it'll say brothers. When brothers live together in unity. Um, Our translation in IV is trying to avoid kind of like gender division or divisive language. And so it's got God's people. Um, What is good about it? Well, it's not just that it's morally good. Unity is morally good. It's not just that it's, well, unity can be morally good. It can also be morally bad, can't it? You know, gangs, there's plenty of unity in gangs, but not always to do what's right. Um, So it's not about it being morally good. It's not about it being health-giving. 
Though we know that when there's division, it can really damage your health. Um, But here, it's more like, you know when you eat a cake and someone says, what's the cake like? And you say, it's good. It's good. It's that kind of thing. It's, it feels good. Yeah? It does you good. It's good. Um, and so here is the goodness, how good it is to live together in unity. Um, I never cease to say how amazed I am at the safety we have in our cities. You know, we walk around in the early morning and nobody bothers us. You can run through our neighborhood and people don't flee and people don't attack you, you know, kind of. You can just run around the streets of Bordeaux. Uh, Late at night, people walk around the streets of Bordeaux. Our cities are so safe. Bordeaux is such a safe place. It's unusual to see people quarreling in the streets. Does happen, but it's unusual. And that is so good, isn't it? But this is more than that. Um, This is about that kind of relationship where people are living in harmony together. They have a common purpose. They're doing something in common. They're moving forward together. Um, I think of the joy of working together. Some of us, we've had uh, the experience of working on teams. And sometimes you get a really good team and people are really playing to their strengths. And somehow, when everyone puts in 100%, It comes to more than the sum of its parts and the team really works and takes off and you think, whoa, this is a really good team, you know? It's that kind of unity. Or um, you think of sport and sometimes uh, there are teams and you play as a team and it's all pretty good, but there are other times when something just happens and the team plays really well. And people who support sports teams know when their team is playing really well. Yeah, there's a kind of almost an organic thing that happens. They become like together and, and they, they really work together. Um, some people are good at, uh, um, or use, uh, do more music. And uh, there can be a time when you're perhaps you're singing in a choir and you realize that there's something happening and you're singing really well together or you're playing really well together. Uh, you can try and do it, but... And you work hard at it, and I'm sure that helps it to happen. But when it comes, it's amazing, yeah? And and there's that kind of unity and that feeling of of, of moving together. Um, People campaign for something, and there's a unity that they feel in their campaign. In all kinds of different ways. Even in battle, people go to war, and there can be this kind of band of brothers effect where you you kind of link up and there's something special that happens together. There's that thing that happens. Well, it is that, but I dare to say it's even more than that. It's not just the power of hive mind, you know? Have you, have you noticed that? People now, if they've got a big question to ask, they'll put it on Facebook or Twitter and they'll say, come on, hive mind, what do you think about this? And they're wanting people to put in their impressions and with their thoughts on it. And the idea is that together we can think bigger thoughts than we can individually. A bit like brainstorming. You know, brainstorming works a bit like that. You get people going and they produce something more than they can individually. 
But here, it is that, but it's more than that. What is it that's more? Well, it's because it's God's people and they're expressing God's unity. It's God's unity and diversity. It's wonderful that we've just been reminded about the Trinity because the Trinity is all about unity and diversity. You know, a God the Father is not the Son. God the Son is not the Spirit. God the Spirit is not the Father. But God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Spirit is God. And the three are one God. And there's this wonderful unity and diversity that explains so much in this world. That we long for unity, but we also long to be who we are and for that diversity. And here it is then, produced in God's people, coming from God. It's not uniformity. I put a cheeky picture on uh, Facebook of a bunch of penguins. um, And in the bottom, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And there was a bunch of penguins with some penguin chicks And someone said, is that unity or uniformity? And I said, if you were a penguin, you wouldn't need to ask. And maybe it can look like uniformity. But if you were a penguin, you'd know which penguin was which. Because no two penguins are the same. Okay? Um, It's like we sometimes, you know, we, we, um, we kind of merge everyone's face into one kind of universal face and we can't tell people apart well penguins you know we can't tell penguins apart but penguins can penguins can so it can look like uniformity but it's not it's unity and diversity and it comes from god and we can see that here because it says how good and pleasant it is when god's people when brothers dwell together or live together in unity people who belong they belong to each other because they belong to god yeah they belong to god and therefore to each other now you don't need me to tell you how relevant this is in bordeaux because here in bordeaux uh, people live really wonderful lives Uh, it's a wonderful place to live it's safe it's relatively prosperous we were in the chartrons area on Yesterday, we went to explore Chateau, and it's, it's just gorgeous. It's so charming and, you know, kind of characterful. Everything's a little bit different and so on. And it's, it's a wonderful place to live. But people are so lonely. People don't know their neighbours. People come to the city and they, they settle down here and they leave three years later and they don't know anyone. Uh, and they feel like they don't belong. And in a way, they belong, they like the place, but there's no kind of, you know, and so Bordeaux gets a reputation for being cold, for being unwelcoming and so on. I wonder whether it's any worse than anywhere else. We don't know how to connect, do we? And people find it really difficult uh, to make relationships. And here we are as God's people, and God has brought us into relationship. And we can then overflow with that to other people and welcome them, invite them into this relationship. It's not an exclusive relationship. Other people can come and can join in this relationship of of unity and love uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So the goodness of unity. It's a good thing. Those of us who've lived in situations of disunity know how good unity is the goodness of unity next thing the source of unity 
And uh, we're looking really at verse 2 here. And we have, well, verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. And we've got two lovely pictures, okay? Um, And I'll read verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. So we've got two pictures, okay? Um, And I'm going to do the easy one first and then come to the hard one. So the easy one is of dew, and the second one is of anointing oil. Dew la rosée, yeah? Uh, And anointing oil, well, yeah, okay. Um, Both of them together show us that true unity in Christ is something that comes down from above, okay? Um, That is very, very simple, and you kind of, you know, you don't need a degree in theology to see that, do you? Uh, The picture is obvious. The oil is poured and it's running down, running down. It's going down. So it's coming from above, down, okay? Falling, it says, falling. So it's coming from up and it's going down. And then the other picture, of course, is of dew. And um, dew, um, where does dew come from? It doesn't rise up. It falls down. Yeah? It's condensation that forms on the ground. It comes down. And uh, the verse says that. The dew of Hermon were falling. We are one, not because of our feelings, because we feel one. Very often we don't feel one, do we? You know, sometimes we can go home and say... I really don't feel as if I belong. I really feel as if kind of like nobody cares about me. I really feel as if if I weren't there, people wouldn't even notice. I really feel as if this. I really feel as if that. I really feel as if the other. When were you supposed to listen to your feelings? You know, whoever told you that it's a good idea to listen to your feelings? You know your feelings lie to you. Why listen to your feelings? Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not that God doesn't care about your feelings, but unity doesn't come from your feelings. How could it? How could it? It doesn't come from shared experience. You know, kind of like we don't even need to go into that. Our experience of the world is vastly different. We've all lived such different lives. But our unity comes because we are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we belong because we belong to him. We are one with one another because we are one in him. And that's the source and the definition and the, um, the power of our unity. Yeah, It is something that is true of you in Jesus Christ. And so here is the question for you. Are you in Christ? Are you someone who is trusting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who knows he is your saviour? You know you need a saviour, and you know that he is the saviour for you. And if he is your saviour, you are in him, and we are one. And that is, that is a given. It's a fact. And facts um, must triumph over feelings. Okay? When your feelings are lying to you, go to war with them, with the facts. Yeah? Give your feelings a good clout, uh, a good smack with the facts. Start telling yourself the truth and stop listening to your feelings. You know your feelings lie to you, so don't listen to them. 
Okay, these two pictures. The dew, first of all. Um, I'm so grateful for Google Maps because you can find out distances and stuff like that, you know? And uh, when you see Mount Hermon and Mount Zion, you kind of think, oh, well, let's have a look. And so you put it in. Whoa, oh, hang on. This is a bit awkward because what the psalm describes is impossible. Mount Hermon is way up in the north of Israel. In fact, it's not in Israel today. I don't think it is, looking at the boundaries. I think it's in Lebanon today. Um, <clears throat> and um, Mount Zion is, of course, the mountain that Jerusalem is built on. And I thought, okay, um, so they're a long way apart. I wonder how far they are. Well, the way to do that is directions. I thought, how would you fly there? You can't fly there. Okay, how would you cycle there? No, don't cycle from Mount Hermon to uh, Mount Zion. I thought, okay, how do you go in a car? They said, the best thing is to drive through Syria. I thought, I don't know whether that's a good idea. Um, but anyway, as the crow flies, it must be something in the order of 300 kilometers, okay? About 250, 220 to 250 miles, something like that, from Mount Hermon to, to Mount Zion. How is the dew of Hermon going to fall on Zion? How is that going to happen? Not only that, but Mount Hermon is, hang on, let me get this right, a thousand meters high. No, sorry, 3,000 meters high. It's a high mountain, Mount Hermon. 3,000 meters high. Mount Zion is 800 meters high. So the difference in kind of like, you know, it's, it's they're two different mountains. Um, it's impossible for that dew to fall here. And I think that's, that really speaks to us. Because for people to know true unity is impossible without God. It's impossible. It really is. But the amazing thing is, with God, the impossible becomes possible. He, he delights in doing the impossible. And uh, high and low makes no difference with him. And uh, his people are united in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's done the impossible. Um, the oil. <clears throat> okay, here's this picture then of precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. The picture is of anointing oil, okay? Um, and um, it's very symbolic, uh, obviously. It's, it's um, an oil that was used... For specific purposes. People still use oil today. Um, ask James about beard oil. And James will talk to you about beard oil, I'm sure. I don't know. Um, yeah, anyone here use beard oil? Anyone here ever use beard oil? There's a couple of accusing looks going around. Okay. Is it like cooking oil? Is it like rubbing olive oil into your face? Not the kind of Okay, so what's it like? It's a little drier after. Okay. And smells like um, fried food? Uh, no. <laughs> no, it's called, well, mine's called beard finish. Finish? It's more, uh, okay. like herbal smell. Okay. So um, the, the thing that's coming across to us is it's light, um, it's perfumed, um, it's not unpleasant. We're not talking about rubbing kind of uh, olive oil into your face, no, okay. Or rubbing butter into your face, you know. Um, 
Yeah, and um, a beard oil is like an anointing oil. An anointing oil, the idea was of this rich, fragrant, um, aromatic liquid that was poured out on Aaron's head. Now, why Aaron? Because he was anointed to set him apart as priest. That was the whole purpose of it. And they would pour oil on his head and it would run down over him in this gorgeous, uh, fragrant, aromatic, perfumed, um, not just herbal, but this would be spicy, you know? There would be spicy tones in it. And the, the smell would fill the room. And it's a sign of God's Holy Spirit descending on Aaron for his task. But of course, Aaron himself is a sign because Aaron, I mean, um, there's no temple now, there's no priest now. Why? Because Aaron, in his priestly work, pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, on whom God's Holy Spirit is poured without measure. Yeah? Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ receives all the Holy Spirit of God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, by his priestly role, what do I mean by that? He offers himself for us. He is priest. He is altar. He is temple. He is sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. By all that he does, he purchases for us all the riches of God. He pours out on us God's Holy Spirit. And he makes us his people and makes us one. And you see the richness of this beautiful image. To begin with, we think, oh, oil, oh. And then afterwards you think, oh no. And you can smell the sweetness and the spiciness of it. And the, the way it fills the whole place. And here is the Lord Jesus Christ winning his people and making them one. He wins a people for himself. I have various um, New Testament passages here that I'm supposed to read to you, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to cite them instead, and you can look them up later, okay? <clears throat> so we have John 17, verse 20 to 26. John 17, verse 20 to 26, where the Lord Jesus Christ prays. No, I will read this one. I, I won't read the other one, I promise. Um, otherwise we'd be here all night and it's hot isn't it isn't it hot it's the evening and it's still hot but it could be worse it could be cold okay um john 17 verse 20 down to verse 23 listen oh well i'll carry on to verse 24 yeah just 20, 24 john 17 verse 20 listen to this jesus is praying okay before he's crucified yeah? He isn't arrested yet. He's praying about it all. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one father. You ready? Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them... The glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. 
Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And then he carries on. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And so here is this amazing uh, picture of us living today in our little lives the kind of unity that God lives uh, between the persons of the Trinity. Um, And that's just awesome, isn't it? Uh, It's a most amazing picture. It's a unity as deep and as wide and as radical and as big as, as the nature of God. It's that big, this uh, notion of unity, this idea of unity. So here we are then. Uh, when we break the bread uh, in a moment, we will be reminding us, ourselves, uh, of what he's done. Uh, did he die to purchase us? Did he die to make us one? Are we one in him? That is what we're saying. And if we are one in him, what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about that? How are we going to live that out? Because that unity is given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now this is really important. It's not like the United Nations where you try and take things that are not united and make them fit. You know? It's not like doing a jigsaw puzzle that's cut all wrong and you kind of think, oh, it's never going to get together. I'll hit it with a hammer. It's not that. It isn't that. You know, it's not trying to make Lego and Duplo and different kinds of blocks all fit together and they're not made to do it. This is not that. This is a unity that God does in us. He remakes us and makes us uh, one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, it's a unity that God gives us. But... It's still something we need to take care of because Paul says, doesn't he? Make every effort to keep, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay? To keep. And so it still demands a lot of us. It's given to us, but it demands from us. Yeah? Given to us freely. We can never make it, but it still demands everything from us. It's kind of like salvation in that, isn't it? Um, it's a free gift, but it'll cost you all you have. It really will. It's a free gift, and it'll take everything you've got. And that's glorious. Okay, so the goodness of unity, the source of unity, it comes from above, and then the blessing of unity. Um, to know unity now is good, isn't it? Um, but all the time I'm speaking, you're saying, yeah, but Alan, you know, kind of like, yeah, and, and it, is, it is wonderful to be together and stuff, but it's all a bit rich what you're saying, you know? I don't know whether we really live that. Um, well, the psalm points us to something that is bigger. Because look, the very last um, clause is not even a sentence, is it? For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And it's like Psalm 120 going through to Psalm 134. Um, He's moving from this world where, frankly, he don't feel much unity with the people around him. 
to Psalm 134, where he's in the, in the house of God, with the servants of God, singing the praises of God, and it's most wonderful. But there's a, a sense in which that then becomes like a metaphor for how our lives are. We move from this world, which frankly, you know, kind of like sometimes gets us down, and we think, well, how are we supposed to function in this world? How are we supposed to live? How can we do this? Um, and as we journey, uh, we get in the end to the presence of God, and we think, whoa, home at last. And in the same way, unity is like that. We, we know something of it, we experience something of it, we live something of it, but the fullness of it, we will know when uh, we arrive safe at home. You know, uh, when we see God face to face. When we're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're transformed to be like him. When we radiate his glory and his holiness to one another. When we can barely recognize one another because we're holy. You know, we're not just holy because we belong to him. But we're now holy because we're, we're like him, really like him. Uh, when we, when we um, know that unity um, that we were made to know. Uh, and we will know that forever. So our, our calling today is this. To show where we're going. I don't know whether I've used this illustration here, so I'm going to do it. Um, when I lived in North Wales, we used to go down to do some uh, training on how to do Christianity Explored. And we had to go down to London. And we would go by aeroplane, because by aeroplane from North Wales to London takes half an hour. Our EasyJet did it from Liverpool. So to Liverpool was half an hour, half an hour in the aeroplane. And then you'd land, I think, at Luton. And it would take you half an hour to get into London. So it was about an hour and a half and everything was easy. Uh, otherwise, you'd be on the train and it took you kind of like four hours. Uh, and it was a real kind of pain. So we would fly by, um, by EasyJet down to London. And I, I never really liked flying, but it, it did get me there quickly and it, it was convenient, so I used to do it. And one day I was at Liverpool Airport and I was in the queue of the people going from North Wales to London. Now, um, there was me, I was in my anorak, it was kind of October, it was not nice weather, and um, I had a little bag with me, with my computer probably. Other people had attaché cases, briefcases, umbrellas, you know the stuff you need for London in October. But there was another flight leaving for Barcelona. And those people, the party had begun. They were in Hawaiian shirts. One guy had a sombrero on. A couple of people had maracas. You know, people were, people, people were singing. People were dancing. They were having a wonderful time. And they were still in Liverpool. They hadn't even got on the plane because they were going to Barcelona and we were going to London. And um, I was stood there thinking, wish I was going to Barcelona instead of London. Uh, but there we are, you know, it was okay. And then someone came up to me and said, Excuse me, is this the flight for Barcelona? Well, I looked at our queue and I thought, does it look like we're going to Barcelona? No, I said, that's the queue for Barcelona. And my question to you is this, does it look today like you're going home to glory? Does it look like you're traveling in that direction? I think that is a really good question. For us to put to ourselves sometimes. Yeah? By the way I am, where would people think I'm going? 
in life? Does it look like I'm going to glory? And so, um, so here we are then with this wonderful psalm uh, that is talking about our unity as God's people. And I want to I leave us with this challenge. You know, when, when I live my life day to day, where is this taking me? Am I, am I going in the right direction? Or am I going in the wrong direction? And what does my life say about me? Is this a redeemed life? Is this a life uh, that people can see Jesus has purchased? He, he bought this life so I would live it for him and so I would show it? Or is it uh, the kind of life that people look at it and say, oh, it's just like everyone else is living for himself? That's all he's doing is living for himself with no hope and no direction. Because we're heading home to God. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you're on the road to glory where we'll, we'll live in this perfect unity forever. I'm going to close just by reading the psalm again because it's so beautiful. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore.